Welcome to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans and Jeff Shade, a show that simplifies the complexities of investments, taxes, retirement, and more so you can discover how to better sustain yourself and your wealth for years to come. Brian is a CPA with 30 years experience and a financial advisor, which brings a unique perspective to the financial world. This show is brought to you by Madrona Financial and CPAs, home of the Rooted Wealth Plan. Want a retirement plan designed to last 30 plus years? Go to madronafinancial.com and click Get Started to see what the Rooted Wealth Plan can do for you. And now, here are your hosts, Brian Evans and Jeff Shade. Thank you so much. Welcome to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans, the show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help sustain yourself and your wealth for 30 plus years. On today's show, we're going to be discussing what you need to know about today's new market and then why real estate investors need to know what a 1031 exchange is and what a 1033 involuntary conversion is. My name's Jeff Shade, and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions. But of course, the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Brian Evans, CEO and President of Madrona Financial and CPAs. Brian, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks, Jeff. Always glad to hear that, Brian. I certainly hope our listeners are doing well today, too. We appreciate you joining us each and every week for another edition of Growing Your Wealth. A lot to talk about on today's show, Brian. As I understand it, retail sales are still strong in spite of the Fed raising rates, which is supposed to slow down the economy. What's going on? I mean, how does the market continue to grow when there are so many headwinds against it? Yeah, that's a good question. Consumer spending accounts for roughly 70% of the GDP. And, and of course, companies rely on that, especially ones that have discretionary product and services that they offer. Well, we went through a weird time. We had COVID and then we had people hunkering down and getting checks from the government. And then people, a lot of them didn't go back to work, but they kept spending. They got this money. They were spending, spending, spending. And they got used to that lifestyle, I think, uh, a lot of people got used to a lifestyle of, you know, it used to be we'd kind of separate the stuff that you need and the stuff that you want. So it used to be you needed a place to live, you needed food. Okay, mm-hmm. now it's you need the latest iPhone. <laughs> you need <laughs> subscriptions to every app. Yep. You need this, that, the other. And it's like, I don't know if that is in the want column or the need column, <laughs> but I think it's moved, a lot of things have moved into the need column for a lot of people. And so what we're seeing to support this, that this overspending essentially, is that consumers got used to that. They're spending their savings. We're seeing savings go down in the United States. They are not contributing to their 401k. And it's like, well, I can either get a new iPhone or I can cut my 401k contribution. Gosh, I'm not going to touch that for 30 years. I need my iPhone today. Hmm. Uh, And so why don't I just drop my 401k contribution? I'll, I'll have enough money. So we're kind of this false sense of security. What it basically is happening, I think a lot of consumers are taking a piece from the, the government playbook and saying, well, if they can run deficit financing, why can't I? I'll just get another credit card. I get three offers a week. You know, I, I'll just keep borrowing. And if you if you sit down in your budget and you go, gee, I rent an apartment. I have a car loan on my car. I don't own anything but this old furniture. And I have eight credit cards to pay. Well, you're in a negative net worth situation. And generally, when you get in that place, how do you get out? I mean, there has to be a monumental shift. I mean, it's one thing to stop the backtracking and getting further into debt every single month. It's another thing, you know, just get to zero from one month to the next is a huge step. But then you got to go positive from there, another huge step. So two huge steps from somebody that maybe hasn't figured out how to do that. So 
there's a delayed effect as to when this will, I think, hit the economy. It won't do it overnight, but slowly but surely, people are going to have to. If you don't have the money and you can't borrow anymore, you can't keep spending, deficit spending. A government can, but, but individuals, you know, there reaches a limit at some point. And the old saying was, I can't be out of money because I still have checks. And I think that the American way is to be in debt. I read that Capital One, their foreclosure rate or their charge-off rate is 75% more than it was about a year and a half ago. Is truly the American way to be in debt these days? Well, I mean, that's certainly been changing over, over the years. When I was young, people didn't have credit cards. A lot of people didn't even have them. You know, they, they kind of did the Dave Ramsey thing, you know, that if you have money, you put it in a jar, you put it in an envelope, and if you want something, you spend it from the envelope or the jar, whatever mm-hmm. it is. You didn't pull out a credit card. So that's how my parents were and everybody that uh, around me was, and that's how they lived. My parents never carried a credit card debt. They didn't have a lot of money, but they didn't spend more than they made. Mm-hmm. Pretty simple stuff. Well, that's the old days. <laughs> the new days, that's just not the case. So I think there is good debt and bad debt, as I've talked about on the show. Good debt is your house, your first house, you know, or, or something like that, or your business that you're growing and, and you need a line of credit to buy some more inventory so you can sell it at a profit, et cetera, et cetera. There is good debt leverage other people's money call it what you want leverage on on rental houses or you know if you're a a landlord and growing your real estate profile it's pretty hard to save up enough money to buy your first rental house with cash it's just that's too hard you need leverage to do that so most successful people use leverage to get ahead or many do uh, investors use leverage to get ahead and that can be a good thing but the other kind of everything else you know car loans visa loans i don't know what the rate of return is on that new pair of shoes uh, you'll be paying interest (laughs) on for the next 12 years yeah they're probably worn out by them pretty good they're in a trash heap somewhere and you're still paying down the principal and interest on them 10 years later so you know that's definitely bad debt. And so any financial plan needs to clean up the bad debt. So that's the first thing I I look at when I'm looking at a financial plan and analyzing the liability section. I kind of separate, okay, what's my business debt? What's my real estate debt, investment real estate? And do I have any bad debt on here? Probably want to get rid of that. And it's probably at the highest interest rates too. If it's got four wheels or it goes in the water, generally that's bad debt. But as you said, (laughs) if you can live in it, that's going to be good debt. Because real estate, at least people think that it appreciates, but we've discussed before, does real estate always appreciate? Uh, nothing always appreciates. So you, you got to become maybe a CD, I guess. But yeah, no investment with potential returns, uh, decent returns, is without risk. Uh, that's just a given. And that's why a true diversified portfolio has many different kinds of asset classes, not just a lot of different assets in the same class. And so the really hammer on that a lot here because I see too many portfolios come to me. And so what are you in? Uh, well, I'm all in stocks and bonds. What else you got? Nothing. Hmm, okay, well, we have a lack of real diversification in this portfolio. Is that something you're interested in? Well, I wasn't when I was 40, but now that I'm 65, I sure am because I don't want to have to go back to work and I'm retiring this year. I'm like, exactly. So that's when we employ diversification strategies outside of one asset class. But houses, uh, you know, and the other discussions on real estate... People ask me all the time, what's your favorite investment? I said, well, it's not a stock. It's not something I offer. It's investing in yourself, your Mm -hmm. education, your ability to earn money the rest of your life. After that, then you might look at your first house because I can't live in a E-Trade statement that says I own stocks. I can live in a house. And so got to take care of yourself first. So 
you know, I think the house is more important than, than investing in other things if you don't have a house and you plan on living in a place for a while. If you're transitory, then no, don't buy a house because the uh, closing costs will eat you up and, and you're taking a lot of extra risk there. So there's many discussions that I like to have with people about choices of priorities and so forth. But back to the question, you know, the spending, is it going to change? And I, I firmly believe it has to change. It's going to have to drop. Interest rates are high. Credit card rates are super high. Right. Borrowing is up. Investing and savings are down in America. So that can't go on forever. And we're not the federal government, like I said. And it's kind of like a, a slow bleed there. It's, it's going to bleed people out uh, over time. And that's something uh, I, I think it will affect a lot of people. Brian, let's get back to the market side of things. All things considered and what we've been talking about today, what should we look for moving forward, do you think? Well, I think we have to be concerned. We've been talking about debt here, uh, whether it's consumer debt and how that can affect companies. If we get to the point where consumers are just unable to keep spending the stimulus money or reduce their 401k contributions or spend their savings down, at some point that has to start drying up for individuals. And when that happens, we see companies start missing their earnings estimates because they're not selling as many goods and services if they're discretionary goods and services in their business. So once you start seeing markets reflective of missing their earnings and there's a number of companies missing earnings, we see stock markets sometimes take a big drop. Okay, we see this over and over where companies are missing earnings and people go, oh no, what's happened to the economy? We got, we got problems. Sell, sell, sell. And then markets can implode really quickly. Or it could be a longer term, just malaise, like we saw in the decade of the 2000s, the lost decade where the market just did not perform at all. So everybody's plan, financial plan, is predicated upon, well, I'm going to put money in my retirement account and stocks and bonds. They're going to grow, right? I'm like, you know, I, I saw somebody told me they grow at 8% a year. I'm like, well, no, they never grow at 8% a year. They grow at more than 8 less than 8 you know, negative. They do what they do, and we don't know what the future is going to hold. I know that the stock market is predicated on earnings. The value of companies is predicated on future expected earnings. And if those earnings are low or lower than expected or, or in a malaise due to overborrowing by consumers, we got a problem. We do have a problem as a country. Our debt to GDP is 97%. Uh, that's high. Uh, the only time it's been this high was World War II. And after World War II, you know, we didn't have to spend money on the war anymore, so we were able to correct that and bring it way down. There is no projection I have ever seen saying that the current 97% is going to be brought down under any means at all. So it's just going to continue to rise. That is a huge problem because, you know, at some point you're, you're past the point of no return. Now, that could be a problem because now we're spending money on interest, more and more interest. With rates going up, bond yields going up, the government has, is borrowing more. They have way more money going to interest that they can't spend on schools and military and services and so forth because it's going out to interest. That can be a problem, too. So we've got some serious headwinds. I'm not saying the market's going to drop or anything. Well, I, I am. It always drops at some point. Markets are cyclical. But we have a lot of headwinds that we weren't dealing with uh, years ago that we need to be concerned about, both from uh, the uh, debt of the country and the consumer debt of individuals. 
Brian, based on our conversation today, I am willing to wager that a lot of our listeners may have questions about their plans. They may want to take a look at their current plan to determine if it's built to handle what is coming down the pike. If you want your 30-point analysis, we're going to open the phone lines right now and allow you to call 833-673-7373. You can do it right now so that you can request your Madrona 30-point analysis and see where you may need to make a few adjustments. If you want to have your current financial plan and portfolio reviewed in anticipation of some potentially big financial storms, again, those phone lines are open right now, 833-673-7373, so that you can request your Madrona 30-point analysis. Now, you've got to have at least $500,000 or more of investable assets to qualify for this 30-point analysis, but those who do qualify will be able to enjoy conversational analysis intended to dynamically cover a wide range of topics based on your unique individual situation so that you can proactively adjust your financial plan and strategy to help avoid what's happening in the markets and what's happening in the world today. And as a bonus, we're also going to send you a copy of Brian's book, Seven Steps to a Successful Retirement. When you call, you'll get a friendly voice on the other end of the line who'll ask you a couple of questions. Then your information is going to go to our team who'll reach out to you within a business day to schedule your 30-point analysis. Again, not going to cost you a dime, but it could be just what you need to help uncover several blind spots while improving your overall quality of life for the next 30-plus years. Once again, the phone lines are open right now, 833-673-7373. It's 833-673-7373. And remember, one call could make all the difference. Brian, back to our conversation, I found that it is wise to determine the things that you can and cannot control. And it appears to me that personally, I cannot control the market. Should we sit back and take it and endure these difficult times? Uh, no, <laughs> we need to know they're going to come. And it's kind of like, you know, if you see the weather report and it says, oh, we're going to have a terrible storm. It's going to snow and hail and, and all this stuff. Well, somebody might go, well, I, I can't control that. I'm just going to walk outside and do my normal thing and just get pelted by hail. Or <laughs> you can dress appropriately. You can make sure the hail doesn't hit you. You can do things knowing that bad things are happening. It's called planning, planning ahead, knowing it, there's going to be good times, going to be bad times, knowing that. And when I say planning, it's, you know, that's just a word. So what do I specifically mean? Well, there's, there's three parts of the seven steps of successful retirement that I would point out right now. One is lifestyle planning. Uh, lifestyle planning has to do with how you live in retirement, and much of how you live in retirement is predicated on your income. Where is money coming from, how much is coming in, and how protected it is at. So lifestyle planning really has to do with, again, your lifestyle predicated on cash flow in retirement. I see too many people with so-called plans, I guess, that well, I guess everything has a plan. Maybe the plan isn't good in some cases. A not good plan is one that doesn't provide for income to me. So if you're spending your principal, you're, you're selling stock to fund your retirement, that can be a very bad plan if we have a drop in the market and sequence of return risk will, will eat you alive. And you could put your entire retirement in jeopardy if your timing is bad. So there are ways around that. So lifestyle planning, huge. Uh, where's my cash flow coming from in retirement? The next is growth planning. Yes, I just mentioned that taking money out of your, an all-stock portfolio to, to retire on can be very risky. A lot of people do that. But is it possible that you could have growth in a truly diversified portfolio? 
And we often talk on the show about the six places that you can invest in. You can invest in cash and cash equivalents, bonds, stock market, real estate, insurance company products for security and cash flow, and finally alternative investments. Some kind of mix of all of those is generally better, at least better from a, a security standpoint, than where you have all your eggs in one basket. I think we can all agree to that. And finally, uh, as far as security, protection planning is the third one. So I had lifestyle. What do you spend in retirement? Growth planning, having the proper diversification of assets and protection planning so that when markets falter, particular markets falter, you're going to be okay. So we got to do some protection planning uh, related to this too. So again, we, we can know that the government has problem debt problems and so forth. And hopefully if you're listening to this, you're not somebody that has 12 credit cards all maxed out and you're, <laughs> you know, and with no assets. I mean, you're probably not listening to my show if that's you. But certainly lifestyle planning, growth planning, protection planning are, are things that we key on for our clients. Brian, let's talk about real estate and how it plays into our conversation today. It seems like just a few years ago, $2,500 a month and a mortgage payment would get you a $750,000 house. Today, it's more like four hundred dollars to $450,000. Interest rates have just hit 7 plus percent. How does this play into things in our conversation today? Well, you know, you go back to the American dream and, and it used to be, you know, everybody buy a house and so forth. Just look at these numbers, $2,500 a month, $750,000 house. Well, in the old days, that seemed like a lot. Not so much anymore. If I do a real estate search around my house and I say, show me houses at $750,000, well, I'll get a bunch of houses. If I say, show me houses under $400,000, uh, hmm, <laughs> there's nothing there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, wait a second, $2,500? buys me nothing $2,500 seems like a lot I mean also with the, the mortgage lenders is going to say if the situation all right you want to have a $2,500 payment you need to be making $7,500 a month you know well, wait a second. That's a lot. That's eighty, ninety thousand a year. I got to make just to have enough to make a payment on a house that I can't buy because it doesn't exist at that price. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's a bad scenario, and that's what young people are dealing with right now. Even if they have a good job and have the money, feel like they can make that payment. Where's that house? It's not where I live. Where is that house? And if it is, is it way out there? Is it in another state? I don't even know. It's so tough decisions have to be made. It was so much easier when we were young, Jeff, to buy a house and, and get the American dream than it is now for young people. And that's a serious problem that is not being addressed. Uh, we let our borrowing and, and, and the programs that came out post-COVID create this environment where we have high inflation, which, you know, if I'm a young person, I'm mad. I'm sitting there going, wait a second, I'm going to have to pay back this massive debt someday and I can't even buy a house. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, everything's against you right now. So young people, I, I feel bad for, you know, obviously our financial planning is geared towards people that have had made a lot of successful decisions over the years and have uh, good financial strength in many areas. So we, we tend to work with them. But I, I certainly have a lot of concern for the younger generation. And I, I don't know that they know about this. I don't think they follow the debt and who's going to pay it back and how they're going to ever live in a house. And you know, where are they getting the down payment? They're still paying off their credit cards, as we talked about earlier in this yeah. section, let alone saving <laughs> up enough to buy that house that by the time they save up enough for the down payment, the house price went up and interest rates went up and they're still yeah. back where they started. So yeah, it's it's a serious issue to chase that American dream for young people 
right now. Yeah, that goal line keeps uh, being pushed further and further. Goal line keeps out. moving. They yeah. move the the goal posts. They <laughs> yeah. they keep moving it back, and it's like, how much does to make that seventy yard kick? Come on, that's right. <laughs> this is I was within inches. Fair. Now I'm within yards again, and it's just a crazy mm-hmm. thing. Not to mention certainly student loan debt too. People are paying a lot of that back. Not a good recipe, but you're right. Put four hundred four hundred fifty thousand dollars in the MLS. You'll find nothing in the greater Puget Sound area except for maybe one bedroom, one bath condominium in a place that you wouldn't want to live. And it appears to me that that affects people also who may want to sell their houses because they have a much different pool of potential buyers who can afford these mortgage payments. People aren't selling houses because they have low interest rate loans. Right. They're going, well, gee, I'll, I'll sell my house and, and, and I'll lose my 3% mortgage and I got to replace it with a 7%. So I'll, I'll sell my $750,000 house and I'll go out and buy a $450,000 house. No. I don't want to do that. Nope. So yeah, no, the housing market is just dead right now due to interest rates. Just a simple thing, interest rates. And it kind of happened overnight to us. Did it to ourselves. And when I say, you know, the, the government, and we vote them in. I mean, so we, right. we get what we get. And kind of kind of did it to ourselves. Thanks, Brian. I want to invite our listeners to call right now and request their Madrona 30-point analysis. Don't wait until it's too late. Pick up your phone. You can do it right now. 833-673-7373 so that you can discover additional ways to potentially improve your quality of life for the next 30 plus years. Once again, that number 833-673-7373 and ask about your Madrona 30-point analysis. Yeah, Jeff, I, I wanted to mention, uh, we, we talk about, uh, gee, what if what something happens in the market? We have something like 2007, 2008 happen again. What, what can we even do about that? Well, th- that really points out how important lifestyle planning can be. Because if you have your income figured out, most investments, whether it be stock market or real estate, again, they, they can go through a very tough time like they did in 2008. But what's the commonality between stock market and real estate market from 2008 or that era? Well, the common theme is that both of them recovered and recovered and then some. So the key to certain types of investments, I mentioned all the different kinds of stocks, bonds, cash, real estate, insurance company products and alternatives. The key to the ones with the highest growth potential is you need to ride them out and they need to be longer term investments, whether it's stock market or real estate. Those are longer term investments. So if you're not trying to pull that money out when those are low and you can rely on the other investments for your lifestyle planning, then you can ride that stuff out and prosper long term. I was just talking to, to my painter this morning, in fact, and he was asking me about the market and worried about it long term. And I said, well, one thing I know is if the Dow's roughly mid 30,000s and it was 1,000 when I started my profession, it goes up, but it does not do that in a straight line. My first house, uh, tri-level near Bellevue, less than 100 grand. It goes up, but it did not do it in a straight line. So those long-term investments can be outstanding if you ride them out. They are not outstanding if you need to pull them out when they are low. If you're just joining us, this is Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. I'm Jeff Shade, and we've just finished discussing what you need to know about today's new market. If you want to hear the show again, don't worry. We're also a podcast. Just go to wherever you get your podcast and search for Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. You'll get this show and weekday takeaways so that you can stay on top of your wealth and how to grow it. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be discussing why real estate investors need to know what a 1031 exchange is and what a 1033 involuntary conversion is. Stay tuned. Growing Your Wealth will be right back with even more ways to help sustain yourself and your wealth for years to come. Tired of only getting half the story? 
That's why it's so important to get your financial information from a CPA and an advisor like Brian Evans. Now let's get back to some of the most comprehensive financial information around. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial and CPAs. In this segment, we're going to be talking about what is a 1031 exchange and what is a Section 1033 involuntary conversion. And Brian, I am a little bit nervous about this segment because of the words you just said, specifically involuntary conversion. I can't imagine that it can be good. What in the world is an involuntary conversion and how can you avoid that? Uh, Yeah, involuntary conversion, as the name suggests, is not an awesome thing. (laughs) That is where you had real estate, essentially, and uh, real estate that you lost the use of through no fault of your own, and it wasn't your choice. So here's the scenario. Sound Transit comes along, and they did this to one of my clients. They came along and said, yep, we're going to go through your property. We're taking your building. And this client said, I, I don't want you to take my building. That's where my business is. I own the building. It's gone way up in value. And they go, hmm, well, it hasn't gone up as much as you think because I know you think it's worth $6 million. We'll give you four, call it. And like, wait a second. So you're going to take my building that my business is in. You're going to lower the value of it, and you're going to take it from me. Uh, what is this? It's called imminent domain, involuntary conversion. And, you know, okay, wow, that's just terrible. Then that client goes to their CPA and go, oh, you know that $4 million you're getting? Well, you fully depreciated your building. You owe over a million in tax now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, wait a second. I lost my building. It ended up being sold for way less than it's worth, and now i got to pay tax on it? This isn't fair. So Section 1033 was put into the tax code to at least allow some good news in all of this. In this case, that client could take their $4 million and reinvest it into other real estate. It could be active real estate, but in the case of my clients, they were at retirement age. They did not want to buy another building for their business and and so forth. So they decided to do a Delaware statutory trust. So we took that money and put it into various DST investments, whether apartment buildings, student housing, self-storage, a mix of, of different kinds of investments. And they were able to not have to pay that income tax. And so that's what an involuntary conversion is. It has different rules than a Section 1031 tax deferred exchange. The Section 1033 involuntary conversion allows more time because usually when you've had an involuntary conversion, such as a fire, your real estate, your investment real estate burned up, some kind of cataclysmic event where you got a big check from either the government for a imminent domain or from the insurance company as an insurance payoff. You, you've got two Two years, essentially, in most cases, two years to reinvest that money and not have to pay the tax on the gain from the property that you never wanted to sell or be uh, reimbursed by insurance in the first place. So, Brian, I want to get some clarification here. You said investment real estate and how the 1031 exchange applies to that. Now, if you've got a warehouse, an office building, something like that, a business, that also can be subject to the 1033 exchange. It's not just investment real estate, or is your business always considered investment real estate? Uh, Your business would be a different category. So Section 1033 is going to be primarily investment real estate. Now, there's an interesting crossover where it's your principal residence. Principal residence rules, you have a different section, code section 121. And so we can exclude $250,000 or $500,000 of the gain from a principal residence, you can combine the use of that code section with 1033. But generally speaking, if somebody's house burned down and and they got a check, they kind of need all that 
that money to buy their replacement house. So they might they might have an issue, and there may be a taxation there. But you can combine sections. I won't get too far down that rabbit trail. There's a lot to this stuff, uh, whether it's combining different code sections, the advantages of them. Don't try this at home, folks. <laughs> this is hard stuff. We can certainly help you with that. But I remember on the 1033 exchanges, just one other comment on that. If you're sitting in front of a computer and you type in my name and Kiplinger in section 1033, I did write an article that was published in Kiplinger Online on Section 1033 involuntary conversions. So if Sound Transit is knocking at your door or some other reason why you're going to lose the use of your property or the, the ownership of your investment property, definitely pull up that article or give us a call and we can point you to that. It's a, it's a quick read. It's you know maybe two pages. And, and uh, so quick read to give you the, the basics of Section 1033 involuntary conversion. Brian, let's say that I own an office building and I've got a 100-foot parking lot and it abuts the street there. Sound Transit comes along and they say, well, I'm not going to buy the whole thing or I'm not going to kick you out of all the 100 feet. I only want to take 25 of it. Does the 1033 exchange then apply to that and how? Yeah, it does. Uh, Lots of use of a property, easements, uh, all that stuff. It does apply. And, and, you know, we we have the incredibly horrendous disaster on Maui. Right. Uh, Certainly uh, Lahaina, that whole district. 1033 will be, you know, one of the things that they may rebuild. You you can actually rebuild your place within the two years and not pay tax. Because can you imagine how how devastating it is uh, already for those folks to find out that they owe tax when they get their insurance checked? I'm glad we have a Section 1033 involuntary conversion, but it, it's not unlimited timing, so the timing has to be there. So I sure hope that, uh, that that city gets rebuilt, and it has to be within the two years, and maybe they'll do an exception or something for that. But this happens more and more with, with hurricanes. That's, that's another one that can create 1033 opportunities for the poor people that are, are subject to that. But in our own area, it's primarily eminent domain with uh, Sound Transit cutting a swath across uh, large, Mm -hmm. very populated areas with lots of, whether it's raw land or or buildings or whatever it is, they're they're cutting a swath and people are losing their properties and and going, now what? And so this can be an important topic for those of us that are affected by involuntary conversions. So, Brian, that is the 1033 IRS code that applies to eminent domain. Let's switch gears now and talk about the 1031 exchange. What is that? Yeah, the Section 1031 exchange has been in law for over 100 years, and that allows the owner of investment real estate, any kind of investment real estate, it could be land, rental house, eightplex, apartment building, a strip mall, a winery, a farm, any kind of investment real estate. So I'm leaving out your principal residence. That is not investment real estate. It has a different code section. So investment real estate allows you to sell that. And if you follow the strict rules of a 1031 exchange, you've hired a qualified intermediary. You have 45 days to identify a replacement property. So uh, a lot of people listening might own real estate. Most of my more wealthy clients have investment real estate. Many of them do. And they've maybe done 1031 exchanges in the past. But something has changed out there. What has changed from 20 years ago, say, first thing is you're 20 years older. <laughs> so what you thought was a good idea at maybe 50 years old, maybe not a great idea at 70. Most of my 70-year-old clients, you know, maybe they did 1031 exchange back when they were 50. They, they sold something, you know, rental house, bought a fourplex, whatever it was. And now they're going, oh, I want to sell my fourplex. I don't like owning real estate in Seattle or whatever it is. But I really am not excited about going out and getting a new property. And even if, even if I was, 
That has changed too. You can't find good deals uh, like you could 20 years ago. Prices have gone up so much. They've outpaced rents. Interest rates are up. Regulations up. It's harder to be a landlord. There's there's a million reasons why people are saying to me, uh, I loved being a landlord 20 years ago. I'm not in love with the idea going forward. I'm not in love with the idea of paying taxes when I sell my real estate. Can you help me? Yes, we can. And we've done this to the tune of about $200 million for our clients, helping them sell their investment real estate and reinvest into Delaware Statutory Trust, which is a fancy name for a mix of potentially a mix of different kinds of real estate, like partial interest in a brand new apartment complex in the southern states or a bunch of self-storages or student housing or net lease property, like grocery stores or something like that. There's many different kinds of asset categories, but the point is you can sell your investment real estate, do a 1031 exchange, go through us. You have to go through a financial advisor to get a DST and not have to be a landlord. You get your monthly rent checks. You participate in the appreciation of those properties when they're sold. You defer your tax uh, on the sale of your investment real estate and potentially completely eliminate your tax permanently if you keep uh, doing these 1031 exchanges until somebody passes away, a husband or wife, and there's a step up in basis. So then you can leave it to your spouse or heirs, income tax-free, no gains, no one will ever pay taxes on the capital gains and depreciation recapture from your investment real estate. So Brian, you mentioned an example using, let's say, a fourplex apartment building using the 1031 exchange, but let's say that I've invested in something that wasn't really a great investment, but it's there. Let's say I've got some raw land or I've got some lots or something that I thought really were going to take off. I bought them because I thought, well, they're going to be worth a lot of money someday, and now they're not worth a lot of money. Can I still use the 1031 exchange for an empty lot or empty land and get into something that might be a little more productive? Yeah, generally land has gone way up, but problem with land, I've talked to a lot of people about this. I've got this land, it's gotten way up in value. Problem is, I have to pay property taxes and insurance every year, Yeah. so it actually costs me to own it. Yeah, it looks good on paper, but it doesn't look good when I want to go buy something or live or spend money. It does the opposite to me, and everybody else's real estate you know, they're getting rental income. I'm not. What can I do? Well, you can sell that non we call it non-productive real estate and put it into productive real estate, the DSTs, and start getting cash flow on that money. Still be in real estate, but now you're in cash flow generating real estate instead of cash flow sucking real estate which raw land tends to be. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that can be a really good thing. There are reasons not to do a 1031 because as you started that question, I was like, oh, what if they paid 100000 for a piece of land and it is, they were just wrong place, wrong time. It's Now it's worth 110 mm -hmm. Can we do a 1031? Uh, well, you can, but I wouldn't advise it. You don't have much of a gain. So if you don't have much of a gain, then why would you do a 1031 exchange? Why, why go through the, the effort? That's the first thing we look at. You know, do you have enough of a gain to make this worthwhile? Now, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 2009, you know, 2008, there wasn't a lot of gains in real estate. Uh, people had them, they gave it back. You know, the market just, the bottom fell out. Now, though, virtually everybody I talk to, especially in the Puget Sound region, they have massive gains on their real estate. They've taken depreciation deductions on their investment real estate. So their basis is very low. Their potential tax bill is very high. They like the idea of doing a 1031 exchange, not into another actively managed property, however, into a Delaware statutory trust or, or a group of Delaware statutory trust investments that you can get through a financial advisor such as ourselves. 
Brian, if someone is a pre-retiree versus somebody who is retired, now I can see using the 1031 exchange and maybe getting into a Delaware statutory trust. If I'm 65, 70, 75 years of age and I'm tired of toilets, tenants, and trash, but if I'm not that age, is a 1031 exchange still recommended? Uh, it depends on the person. I mean, if they want to be in real estate their whole life and they're concerned about uh, the tax bill to their spouse or their heirs someday, you could do it. But generally, I, I, I talk people out of it. If they're 40 years old, and I, I call it being in your get-rich stage of life, mm-hmm. uh, keep doing what you're doing. This is more of a retirement strategy for landlords. So I find that the older you are, the more appropriate it is. Now, sometimes uh, somebody very old you know, will come to me and they go, well, I know it makes sense for most of your clients. But gosh, I love being a landlord. It's what I do. It's my identity. I don't know what I'd do if I if I sold my properties. I say, well, then don't sell it. <laughs> do what makes you happy. Okay. If free time and less stress with good cash flow and not having to worry about tenants and trash and and all that appeals to you, then do a 1031 exchange with a DST. If that does not appeal to you, if you like being a landlord keep being a landlord. So I'm, I'm not here to tell people when they should switch from their get rich stage of life to their stay rich uh, stage of life with a DST. But certainly I had this conversation with a lot of people and a lot of people are just kind of on the fence. They, they see benefits to both. Well, I I'll probably have more money if I keep working as a landlord. And well, yeah, generally people make more money when they keep working. <laughs> this is a retirement strategy. Generally people make less in retirement than they do when they're working. However, I will say this, most of the people that are landlords that I run into, I look at their tax return and I compute their return on investment of their real estate. And if you're honest about it and you take your gross minus your actual expenses, then your net income that you put in your pocket at the end of the year, divide that into what your fair market value is. Very often it's zero to two percent. And I can look at that and go, how would you like to have less stress, not have to be a landlord and improve your cash flow to boot and still be in real estate with no income taxes? They're like, well, that sounds pretty good, Brian. That's exactly what we do. That's why I've done $200 million approximately of this for clients. So, Brian, if our listeners have real estate and they're worried about imminent domain or they have real estate and they're just looking to get out of it, I would invite them to give us a call right now, 833-673-7373, and get some answers to their questions about real estate. Now, when you call that number, you're going to get a friendly voice in the other end of the line who's going to take some information from you and set you up with an advisor so that you can request your Madrona 30-point analysis and discover the options that you probably didn't know existed. Now, you must have at least $500,000 of investable assets to qualify for the Madrona 30-point analysis, but those who do qualify will be able to enjoy this conversational analysis intended to dynamically cover a wide range of topics based on your unique situation so that you can proactively adjust your financial plan and strategy to help avoid unnecessary extreme volatility. And as a bonus, we're going to send you a copy of Brian's book, Seven Steps to a Successful Retirement. Your information, as I said, then is going to go on to our team. They'll reach out to you within a business day to schedule your conversation about that 30-point analysis and let you ask questions about real estate. Again, no cost, no obligation. It's not going to cost you a dime, but it could be just what you need to help uncover several blind spots while improving your overall quality of life for the next 30 years. Once again, that number to call, 833-673-7373. It's 833-673-7373. Brian, we talked about the 1031 and 1033 exchanges, and we've talked about passive real estate and a stay-rich strategy here. If real estate is not my thing, what are some other ways that we can diversify our investments? 
Yeah, well, for a lot of people, they're saying not that real estate isn't their thing. They're just saying, I don't want to be a landlord ever. Mm -hmm. So this doesn't really apply to me. I do like real estate, investment real estate. In fact, real, real estate's been, for long term, a very good investment overall for many people and, and you know, in different types of real estate. It's kind of like the stock market. You know, not every stock is awesome. Some have gone way up in value and some have not, and some go down. Real estate's the same way. And depending on the type of real estate, the timing and the location and your tenants, I mean, those are very important things to do with that. So people that want real estate and they're going, but I don't want to buy a rental house and, and I don't want to do that. Is there any way I can get into real estate? Uh, yes, there is. You can do publicly traded REITs. Be careful with those. They, they are very correlated to the stock market. If you're getting into real estate so that it's something that's not correlated to the stock market, you probably don't want to look at publicly traded REITs. There's private non-traded REITs. You have to have a, a certain uh, net worth to get into them and you have to go through a financial advisor. So uh, if somebody comes to me and they say, yeah, I'd like a diversified portfolio of apartment buildings and single family residences and industrial parks and self-storage or whatever. Can you do that, Brian? Yeah. Yeah, I can totally get you into that. So there are ways to get into real estate. As I mentioned, the private non-traded REITs. Uh, there's Delaware Statutory Trust. Now, some people ask me, well, why can't I just sell my real estate, do a 1031 exchange and, and put it into a REIT? Because I can go find a REIT on my own. Well, because REITs don't qualify for 1031 exchanges, nor do investments in LLCs, partnerships, S-Corps, again, REITs. Those do not qualify for 1031 exchange. you got to do a, a DST. So that's a different animal there. There's other kinds of real estate you can get into. There's private equity. That's more of your higher risk, higher potential return development projects that someone else is developing and you're a part owner in that development. You generally have to be an accredited investor to even look at that. So somebody comes to me with under a million dollars, I, I don't, can't even have that discussion with them. If it's over a million, then you, I can have the discussion. But generally, those kinds of investments, because they're higher risk, they're for people with higher net worth. People with, uh, we'll call it play money, extra money. They, they were willing to take a little risk on on maybe a couple different private equity funds uh, with certain amounts of money. So that's where we generally have that discussion with them. So yes, uh, answer your question, Jeff, you can put money into real estate, even if you're not an active landlord. There are many different ways to do that. We tend to have a lot of this. You, you, you'll notice my show, I, I don't think there's anybody else on the radio really talking deep dive on investment real estate. And it is one of the six major categories to invest in. It's one of the biggest. So I think it's important. We have a very good understanding of real estate investing and having a plan. And a lot of this is about having a plan. So if you own investment real estate that you come see us and at least know what your plan is. Uh, maybe you're not ready to do a 1031 exchange today, but maybe two years, five years down the road you are. And you just kind of want to know what it, what the landscape is out there for DSTs and so forth. But having a plan and having real estate as a true diversifying asset in your portfolio can make a big difference, especially if we have uh, markets that are, are under pressure. Brad, as a CPA, how do you vet these incredibly complex investments? I think that's super important. Uh, it's the vetting because anybody can Google, you know, real estate syndications of the past, limited partnerships, all that stuff, and find some horror stories. And that's because people were selling that. Uh, people meaning, frankly, uh, very large investment companies, the Shearson Lehmans or, or whoever it was that was out there. And I, I use their name because they, they don't exist anymore. <laughs> but they were selling this to clients and they didn't know what they were selling. They didn't understand it. 
And so that's what the stockbrokers were doing. And it was a very bad thing. And so if you don't know what you're betting, I was just at a conference. There was about 600 people there. It was on DSTs and private real estate. And I was talking to salespeople and looking at their glossy brochures. And me and my associate Nick were there and we were looking at these things going, this stuff's terrible. This is going to go under. I mean, I, I was looking at that going, this business plan is horrific. They don't have the ability to raise the money. They bid off too much. They have loans coming due. They're going to have to refinance at high rates. They're not collecting enough, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I can just pull these apart. Now, why is that? Why can I read that and that somebody, another advisor is looking at that going, oh, this looks pretty good. Well, I was an auditor. I'm a CPA. I used to audit financial statements. So someone that audits financial statements for a living knows how to read one. And so that's a very important thing and knows what they're looking for. So I would be looking for things like they might say, oh, our, our yield is much higher. And I'm like, well, how do you get a higher yield than everybody else? You, you guys are buying the same kinds of properties. And then you, you peel back the onion and you go, oh, I see. You're sucking it from reserves. Those reserves were set up for replacements, for repairs and so forth. You're pulling money out of that, which is always a bad idea. And to juice up your yield to try and manipulate us, the investor, into thinking your product is better than everybody else's, but you're lying to us. <laughs> so, I mean, just things like that would jump off the page to somebody that understands how to read between the lines. So we do an extensive analysis. Sure, anybody can go out and research their own REITs and, and investments and so forth, but do you know it to that extent? And maybe your advisor's pushing something. Do they know it? To that extent, are they a CPA? Do they know how to read financial statements? Are they looking for the things we're looking for? So it's very important to align with the right sponsors of these properties and understand all the, the implications of the cost to get in, the property management fees along the way, the exit strategy, what's the exit cost, what about the yield, do they have yield coverage, et cetera, et cetera. So we do that, and that's why it's very important that you don't want to get this stuff wrong. It's, it's kind of like buying the wrong stock. I mean, if you buy the wrong stock, things can go bad. If you buy the wrong real estate, things can go bad. And so arm yourself with the right information, the right partner. We partner with our clients to to make sure that we don't have a, a bad discussion years down the road. We have good ones. That, that's, that's our intent. And we're putting in the work to help our, our chances of having that. Brian, how would your recommendations change if you were talking to somebody who had a million dollars versus somebody who had five million or 10 or 15 million dollars? Yeah, that's, that's a good question because it does change. All of these uh, investors you just mentioned are accredited, so I can have the discussion on private equity and DSTs and, and so forth. But generally speaking, with the person with a million dollars, they don't have quite the ability to take risk and reward relative to real estate that somebody with 5, 10, 15, 20 million dollars does. So once you have, your net worth is much higher, that's where, uh, I'll just say, it kind of gets fun for me because now everything's on the table. Very often that investor will have investment real estate in their portfolio. So we're putting together a plan, a strategy for what to do with that, whether it's a 1031 exchange or whatever it may be. Or maybe it's a sale where we take some money off the top to offset some lost carry forwards. And we call it boot and a taxable boot. But if that boots tax at 0%, that can be a good strategy there. And so we'll look at a broader diversification, maybe more development projects, private equity, as I mentioned before, where there's a value add proposition from the sponsor, where they're building something and their projected rate of return is much, much higher than it is on something that's already built that's more secure. And so with that 
person with a higher net worth, they tend to be more entrepreneurial as it comes to their real estate. That's probably how they got their five, 10, 20 million dollars in the first place. I don't work with a lot of people that inherit large sums of money. That's East Coast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> On the West Coast, we're, we're for kind of first generation. First generation people kind of created their own wealth. That's most of my clients are first generation wealth. And so that discussion can happen. And a lot of my discussion is about that transition. Because if you you have that kind of net worth, you've been very successful. You probably like what you're doing. You're good at it. But at some point, you just have to ask yourself, how much is enough? Very well said, Brian. And I'm sure that our listeners have questions based on the complex topics that we've talked about today, including today's new market and what real estate investors need to know about the 1031 and the 1033 exchange. If you're one of those people who want some answers to your questions, you want to see how maybe real estate fits into your plan, or you want to see how you should proactively design a plan that accounts for today's volatile market, I invite you to call and request your Madrona 30-point analysis. Don't wait until it's too late. You can do it right now. Dial 833 7373 and discover additional ways to potentially improve your quality of life in a retirement that could last 30 plus years. Once again, that number to call 833-673-7373. Do it today because that one call could make all the difference. Brian, we've covered a lot today. Can you sort of recap what we talked about for people who own real estate or potentially want to own real estate? Yeah, we, we talked primarily about investment real estate and having a strategy for what's going to happen to it, whether it's through an involuntary conversion, eminent domain, something like that, or whether you just were an investor and you decided you don't need to own all of that investment property in your portfolio, you want to retire from being a landlord. So we talked about just having a plan. What is your strategy for your real estate going forward and options that we do have? We also talked about if you don't have investment real estate, but want to add real estate to your portfolio, you got to know your stuff. You know, owning real estate is kind of like owning a business. Not everybody's successful at it. Not everybody's good at it. They might need some help. And certainly I, I talked about some of the vetting that needs to go on if you're going to do a proper real estate investment. That is imperative because, you know, once you're in, you're in. And for a period of time, you know, this isn't something you trade daily. You know, real estate's a long-term investment. And so you want to make sure that your chances of success are as high as they can be. That's something that we help our clients do, of course. We do a ton of investing in whether it's Delaware Statutory Trust through 1031 exchanges, whether it's private non-traded equity and debt REITs, private equity uh, development projects, whatever it is. We certainly have access to a plethora of good choices. We've eliminated a much higher group of choices that we don't like through our vetting process. But that is something that we spend a lot of time and effort on for our clients because most of our clients like to know that they have a portion of their portfolio in real estate, whether it's just for the appreciation, but certainly for the cash flow too. Brian, we've had an information-packed show today. I certainly want to thank you for your time today. But most of all, I want to thank our listeners for joining us. We're out of time for this week. For Brian Evans, I'm Jeff Shade. Get out, have a great weekend. Be sure to join us again next week for another edition of Growing Your Wealth. No statements made during the Growing Your Wealth show should constitute tax, legal, or accounting advice. You should consult your own legal or tax professional on your individual information. Brian Evans and Madrona Financial Services is licensed to offer investment advisory services through Madrona Financial Services, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Insurance products are offered through Madrona Insurance Services, LLC, a licensed insurance agency and an affiliate of Madrona Financial Services. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Investors cannot invest directly into indexes. No investment strategy, including asset allocation and diversification, guarantees a profit or guarantees
guarantees the avoidance of loss. Financial planning is an important tool that does not guarantee specific outcomes. DST investments are only available to accredited investors and offered solely through the issuer's offering documents. The DST sponsor determines whether to accept any individual subscription documents. Madrona Financial and CPAs is a registered trade name used singly and collectively for the affiliated entities Madrona Financial Services, LLC, Madrona, and Bauer Evans, Inc., PC, Bauer Evans. Investment advisory services are provided through Madrona. CPA services are provided through Bauer Evans.